0: welcome back to Soulback. this is the rmb podcast kyle here and i have ed bowser with me what is going on and i'm going by the government name
1: why are you going by the government name is it something you need to tell me am i being tracked as surveillance on a brother is finally black twitter gonna throw me in jail like they've been threatening to do for years and years i need to know if you get your palms greased you on the take player what's up can't be doing well, podcasts with snitches well,
0: Ed, we I got to do a weekly shout out and this week's shout out f- for the fans goes to our boy Boom Boom Caesar Ed who went head to head with Tank last week.
1: Oh, yes.
0: I've been waiting to talk about this. And then to make things worse, you took that opportunity to rank Tank's albums to get
1: even get him even more fired up, but he didn't bite. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. First of all, he didn't bite. You were the one who threw that bloody corpse in the water, hoping it shank, that tank would circle and take a bite of it. These artists, man, I understand. We've talked before about how when it comes to music, that this is more than just something they throw out there. This is their livelihood. They're, you know, kind of their, their babies in some ways because they put so much time, care and effort, at least so we hear, into these albums. So I understand why they can get in their feelings when it comes to criticism. But shout out to my man, Caesar, because his criticism to take it back to the conversation was about kind of Tank's work. And it wasn't disrespectful at all. It was just the usual conversations that we have here on the podcast about kind of wishing that Tank would go back to his more traditional sound where he was more critically acclaimed. And Tank got all in his feelings and went off on you, boy. And it was a little embarrassing to tank, not Caesar. Yeah, that lasted about two
0: days. I kind of backed off of it, even though I was probably the one that started it. But Of course you would have started it. <laughs> that's how I normally do things. But shout-outs to Boom Boom. Um, still don't think Sierra's a legend, but I got to respect you for this one.
1: No, Sierra's no legend. We already went over that. But yeah, I... As a fan of this, I feel I cannot stand this mentality that artists have sometimes where it's like, well, if you aren't a musician, you aren't allowed to criticize music. Look here, player. I don't have to be a sous chef to tell you that my hamburger is nasty if it came out of the kitchen nasty. You have an opinion to say what you like and you don't like. It's about making an informed opinion. That's what my man Caesars did. It wasn't disrespectful. It was an informed opinion. That's what I do in my reviews. That's what we do on this podcast. If you don't like it, make better music.
0: <laughs> exactly. But, Ed, let's dive into this Tank uh, discography really quickly. I know you had a chance yes. to rank it. You listened to, like, how many hours of Tank would that be? That's, like, seven albums worth of
1: Tank. Oh, my gosh. Eight, I think actually. it was, like, seven I, or eight. Yes. And yeah. a lot of with these Tank albums, a lot of them, especially the middle albums, I hadn't heard in years and years. So... That was more than one listen to kind of go through it and go back through it and figure out a review and where I would place it. So it was a good 12 hours of tank. Yay.
0: Well, what's interesting about your rankings, and I think I agree with all of it, which is pretty impressive. But Ed, it seems like you were just listing the albums from latest to most recent, with the exception of Sex, Love and Pain, which came at number one. Ed, you gotta Obviously. do better. You gotta actually listen to the albums. You can't just go on Wikipedia and paste the the, the albums in, in chronological order. Play a am
1: First of all, I'm gonna paste these hands to your face if you think that's how I do these album reviews. Secondly, when it comes to it, we're talking about Tank and unfortunately, I think that that career digression regression kind of actually depression shows how Tank's career has unfortunately evolved. Those first albums I thought some of them, Force of Nature, is kind of underrated, honestly. And I think those early works have stood the test of time as far as the writing, the music, the music itself, the writing, the structure. Those first albums still stand the test of time. Of course, Sex, Love, and Pain is his opus. We know that. So that's going to be at the top. But their early albums rank the highest because they're the best. And as time has gone on, That quality has dipped, gotten into mediocrity. And now we're where we are today, where obviously the music is not that great critically, but commercially he's doing his thing. So, yeah, I'm still not sold on this trap thing. I think When We is kind of an anomaly. He about to learn on his next album. We will see. But there's no question that from his peak in 2001, 2002, he had that spike in 2006 with his biggest work. But since then, it's been a downhill slide.
0: Well, Ed, I got to give Tank some credit, or I think it's considered credit. I've heard, like, four of his trap songs that he's released over the last three years. And in every single song, he uses the word permission.
1: Hey, at least he's asking (laughs) girls for permission. Oh, my gosh. In 2019, you got to have a consensual in there. So good for him for that, I guess. But you know what else would be great? If these songs didn't suck. Because the thing that I said earlier about those early reviews, I mean those early albums, they stand the test of time. You listen to Sex, Love, and Pain in 1989, 1999, 2009, 2019, it's a good album. You listen to Savage in 2017, yes, it's trendy. You listen to that thing 10 years from now. That thing is going to be stale. It's going to age like old milk. And it's going to make you throw up. I don't think this is an album that's going to be hot in this moment. But it ain't going to age well. So I wish you would get back to the music that stood the test of time. But hey, it's selling. so, And the lady's screaming when you take your shirt off. So yay. Well, Ed, let me ask you this.
0: And first and foremost, shout outs to our girl Amber and shout outs to our girl Cassandra because we have a couple of Tank fans on the podcast that listen in yes. on the Cypher, on You Know I Got Soul. And they were actually complimenting Savage, which I don't know about that. But let me ask you, Ed, when it comes to Tank's career, because I think early on people were considering him to be underrated. And now a lot of people are saying he's overrated, uh, underrated because early on because people didn't feel like he was getting his just due and his credit for all that he's done behind the scenes, and now it's overrated because people are looking back and saying, well, Tank doesn't really have a lot of his, his own hit records. He just has records that he's put out that people like, but there's nothing that solidifies him as a superstar in R and B. Where is he ranked in your in your overall?
1: Um, perspective of r&b i think that's a good question and somebody brought this up on the cypher and i'm blanking who did it but shout out to whomever that was and of course you can join the cypher too go to facebook so Serial cypher we talk about this stuff all day long it's great but someone pointed out exactly what you said and i tend to agree here early in Tane's career he was underrated because he was such a good great writer that that kind of flew under the radar people didn't realize what he was writing and doing behind the scenes and it was great and his early albums while good the landscape was still pretty competitive so a lot of them kind of flew under the radar especially 2001 2002 2003 there was still a lot of heavy hitters running around so he was putting out great work but it just kind of didn't get the right recognition i mean he it did well sold well But it didn't get that top tier recognition it probably deserved. Now, in more recent years, we can go back and appreciate how good he was, especially that sex, love and pain era. And we can be like, oh, Tank is great. He can sing. He's a great singer. He's a great writer. He's a great performer as well. So that's why we can he's gone from underrated then. And some fans kind of lump all those qualities into today. But if you're judging today by today, you also have to judge what he's putting out today. And what he's putting out today ain't great. So when you say, oh, Tank is great because of blah, 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 and all of the characteristics you're given is from stuff 10, 15 years ago. But what he's actually doing today ain't matching up. That's where we get the overrated from. So he's had a quite an arc. And like you said, you can just look at the timeline. Early on, he was at his peak. But as time has gone down, he has kind of regressed. And honestly, that's the arc for most artists. Most artists have a peak, and they come down a little bit. And there you
0: have it, Ed. And I'll tell you what else, Ed. You know what else was really underrated? What's that? Drake. The early days of Drake. Didn't he just release an (sighs) album?
1: Yes, player. He released an. uh, First of all, let's clarify. This isn't an album per se. This is he saw what Nas did two weeks ago, who got a lot of acclaim for re-releasing some unreleased tracks. These aren't even unreleased tracks. Drake just gathered up a bunch of internet songs that people heard a thousand times before. Was like, huh? Let me package it up and throw it on an album too. He did the same thing, but I must admit, because as Tom loves to say, I'm harsh. But I'm fair. This collection of Drake stuff is probably peak Drake, and it's pretty good because it's a almost greatest hits of the time before he was insufferable.
0: Yeah, and I think, and I wanted to bring up his album, uh, not because you love Drake or anything, but not at all. It's interesting because those songs came from like the SoundCloud era, which was before what we know now as the Spotify and streaming era, and a lot of mm-hmm. those SoundCloud songs aren't even on Spotify, and that's speaking not only to, to Drake, but a lot of our favorites. Tank, for example, dropped mixtapes during like that early 2010 era. So it'd be interesting to see if R&B artists take note of this and start putting all of that stuff in the streaming platforms, because at this point, aside from me and like three other people, I don't know who's actually listening to MP3s still.
1: Yeah, well, I'm one of the three people. But um Tank's a great example. When I had to go and do this album ranking, his debut, Force of Nature, is nowhere. I had to re-listen to that on YouTube because it's not on any of the streaming platforms. I don't know if that's a weird background thing because you know how they are. But it's nowhere to be found. So I do encourage artists who have stuff laying around to kind of compile it, put it somewhere else. This is a streaming era for all his faults, and he's got a minute, Drake knows how to play the streaming game, and he knows that by putting a bunch of popular songs in one place that's easy to stream, that's more money in his pocket. I think about my man King Keith. There are tons of Keith Sweat songs on YouTube that are great, that never made an album. If he packaged that into some mega release, threw it on Spotify, threw it on Tidal, threw it on Apple Music, you mean he wouldn't get some streams? Of course he would. I think that it's... Look, if the music's there, let it make money for you. Not mad at it. And let's give
0: Chris Brown two shout-outs here. No. So the first one would be... Ed, if you're encouraging artists to put all of their music on Spotify... You do realize at one point Chris Brown rele- was releasing mixtapes that were like 40 songs as well, right?
1: I remember.
0: So that would be cool. And then uh, the second shout out goes to him for his music video with Drake, which got a lot of buzz. And we saw them dancing. Ed, you really enjoyed that music video, didn't you?
1: Boy, I couldn't stand that video. And that song is ridiculous. But again, it's a chance for everybody to make memes. The meme of Drake doing that woo thing or whatever it is has been everywhere. And as annoying as it is... That's how you make progress in music these days. You make something that's absolutely outlandish, make a meme out of it, make a gif out of it. People check out the gif. Where is this gif from? Oh, it's from this video. Let me check out this video. Boom, you got a stream. You might have a new listener. That's how you pimp the system in 2019.
0: (laughs) Well, Ed, we got to figure out how to pimp the system for Jonte Austin's debut album that just came out, Love, Sex, Religion. Now, Ed, I have personally been waiting over 10 years for this album. And even before that, when he was supposed to drop his then-titled album Ocean Drive. Ed, it's been 10 years. He's finally out with an album. It's nine songs long. Your boy Gustav considers a nine-song album an EP now. But we'll get into that (laughs) in a bit. Uh, But what did you think about the album? Because, Ed, I thought, this is everything that I want in R&B Production was solid, songwriting was solid, vocals were solid. The only thing I will say though, is that it lacked a hit, and I say that because Jon Tay has written some of some of the biggest hits in R and B history. Sweet Lady, We Belong Together, Be Without You. But these songs on the album were they weren't they weren't average, they were all pretty good, but nothing stood out as like the one. Um, I do want to give a shout out to
1: the song Making Love to God. What did you think of the album, Ed? First of all, that song, that making love to God or whatever it was, you told me about the song before I heard the album. And I was like, good Lord, this is going to be some ridiculous mess. Remember R. Kelly and the sex zoo or whatever it was, and he was having yep. sex with the animals. Good. I thought it was like that. But the song is actually pretty well done. I mean, it's a little goofy, with the you know, screaming Jesus or whatever, but a lot of it is kind of real well-written, what we would expect from an artist and writer the caliber of Austin, and this album, as you said, we've been waiting for this thing. Oh my gosh, this is like, people were talking about this album before y'all knew what our Snapchat was. There was no IG when we were talking about this album originally, so it's been years and years in the making. And for the most part, I think that it held up. Shout out to my man Gustav over on the cipher. I know he was like, This ain't an album, this an EP. Because we've been waiting so long and there's been so much music out that we that he thought that we'd have this bigger release. You know me, I'm a fan of tighter, shorter releases. I don't think it's an EP. An EP is typically like, I don't know, five songs or something like that. So I think that this at how many we get here? Like ten, something like that? So, with this, I think we got a longer release, shorter release, but that shortness works toward it. It's tight, it's consistent, and it's pretty good. I think it's one of the standouts of the year so far.
0: Yeah, and I think I read somewhere John T wanted it, so edit it is nine songs, but he did that on purpose because I think um, Thriller was nine songs, wasn't it? It was. Some of the best records I, of all time
1: were just nine songs. and I be- And I believe Purple Rain was also nine songs. You are correct. You know how many songs Cousin Chris had on his last album? More than nine. The album was trash. <laughs> yes. Just wanted to remind you that your boy's garbage. Oh, well.
0: Yeah, I don't listen to Indigo anymore, unfortunately. It sounded good after first. You don't but, say. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm past that. But. Uh, I do want to give a shout-out to the whole team, because, Ed, that album had some of my favorite producers, as you know, Jermaine Dupri, Brian Michael Cox, and Troy Taylor, our boy. So, that was a solid project, I gotta say, and I'm gonna be playing that Love Culture song. I don't know if you heard that one, because I felt like that mixed in trendy and and classic R&B very, very well. Very well, one of the better ones, definitely. Absolutely.
1: Now, Ed... Can we get into ratchet mode now? Ugh. Why must we get into ratchet mode? I'm the one who brings the maturity and class to the podcast. I'm trying to keep you from wilding out. I don't know.
0: Uh, a publicist sent me Bridget Kelly's new song, and I love Bridget. We all love Bridget. We've followed her since the beginning. Her, her last album was actually pretty good, or her debut album, sorry. Um, had a couple of strong records on there. I hit play on this mm-hmm. one, and Ed,
1: I don't know what's going on. oh my goodness well I wanted to talk a little bit about this one because I also heard this week the new song from Mila from 702 my girl and as you know I'm a huge 702 fan both her song and the song from Bridget unfortunately to many of the listeners here on the podcast is straight up trapness auto tune trap drums, all over the place. But the reason why Bridget's song is superior, and I understand why you're not a fan, and I don't love it, but I kind of get it. Because Bridget's is still Bridget on this song. The Mila song, I'm like, it doesn't even sound like her. She sounds like, if you just played this song and was like, guess this artist, I would have no idea who that was. Because she sounds so distorted. And lost in the beat. But Bridget sounds like Bridget. Actually it kind of sounds a little bit like Brandy. But Bridget sounds like Bridget. It's an attempt of course. To go trendy and get on the radio. and, And do all the things that everybody tries to do. To be relevant. That's cool. It's a little experimental. It's not necessarily what I like. But it doesn't totally betray her sound. And if you don't do that. I will give you a. Pat on the head and be like, okay, good job. I see what you were doing. But if you sounding straight up like Optimus Prime and you lost in the beat and you in EDM world and I don't know what's going on, then I got to give you the thumbs down. So that's why the Mila joint, I ain't feeling. I think the song is called like Do What I Feel Like. I don't feel like listening to this, dog. I'll go listen to your debut album. But Bridget's song, uh, not in my cup of tea, but at least I see where she was going.
0: Yep, and Bridget will be following that single up with The Great Escape, which is her upcoming EP. So, some new music coming from Miss Bridget Kelly after after her appearance on Love and Hip Hop, which I did not like for her. I didn't want her to be on that, and uh, yeah, I don't think a lot of fans
1: did either. So, hopefully things go better for Bridget, but we shall see it. Well, unfortunately, that's how you produ- you promote your music these days. Get on love and Hip Hop, work for Cardi B, and Lord knows y'all elect her president if you could. <laughs> yep. Now, Ed,
0: let's take it back a little bit here. And I want you to talk about... Oh, man, we, we have so much to talk about when it comes to R&B, but mm-hmm. can we talk about that Jodeci... Mary J. Blige debut era, because that's when R&B really started to change. And I think that was like during the time when you really started to listen to R&B, right? hmm You're correct. I want to know, because I don't think people, like people talk about the impact of those albums and how they changed R&B. But I need you to give us the real information on, on what happened there. Because I know it did change it, but I wasn't around for that time. You got to give it to me.
1: Well, I'll give it to you from a perspective of a fan, of a music fan. And it's and I'm kind of trying to tie it to what we hear today because we hear a lot of hand-wringing and whining about, you know, stuff is changing and it isn't my R&B. Well, let me take you back to 1992 when everything really started to pop off with this was the era of Puff working at Uptown Records and MCA and and things were starting to change. So, Going into the 90s, at this point, the prevailing sound was New Jack Swing, and we have talked at nauseum about the ups and downs of New Jack Swing. The ups were that when it's good, it was good, but when it was bad, it was awful because it was so repetitive, it was such a formula, everybody was doing it, every song sounded the same, and it was running to the ground. Kind of sound like something called trap R&B to me today, but that's another combo. So... Here comes, first of all, we've got Jodeci, we've got Mary J. Blige, we've got these two sets of artists, very representative of where they come from, Straight Up Street, Straight Up Hood, and they incorporated, not just, they took the New Jack Swing sound, but they just started stuffing that thing with hip-hop like a Thanksgiving turkey, they just started, bam, 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 and that sound, was familiar because it had the new jack swing kind of ting to it it had the co- contemporary r&b sound but it also had that hard edge hip-hop so it took a sound that was in my opinion running to the ground and gave it whole new life and from mary and jodeci spawned a whole new sound of r&b that would dominate really for the next 10 years or so and continues to influence it today people don't realize just how influential that was. And people also don't realize how people pushed back against it because there were many people who grew up on, let's say you grew up on Motown. Like my, my, I can think of my aunts and and uncles who came up on like late seventies and early, late sixties, early seventies R&B. Like to them, that's what R&B is supposed to sound like. New Jack Swing, uh, they could get with it. Some of it was a little much, but they could get with it. But when they heard this stuff, they're like, oh, this isn't R&B. This is hip-hop. This is rap. They're rapping. These are rap beats they're singing over. So they couldn't get with it. There were fans of of 80s R&B, which was kind of disco influence. And then again, New Jack Swing. They were like, mm, I don't know if so much if I like this. So what mine really, I think the moral of this story is, R&B continues to evolve. So there are times where R&B, we, get, we come into our intro port for R&B and we think that's what R&B is supposed to sound like. There are lots of fans who came in on R&B today and think that Drake is a fantastic R&B singer. Because when they started listening to music, that's what they thought R&B sounded like. They think that the greatest R&B so- writers and singers of the era are Drake and Rihanna. And we laugh. But that's all they know. So as the music continues to evolve, we have to, number one, let artists be creative and let it evolve. Because sometimes it kind of falls on its face. But sometimes, like the era of Jodeci and Mary J, we get some genre-changing classics.
0: Well put, Ed. Well put. And as you were going through all that... Obviously, we know Mary and Jodeci both have classics, and normally the classics fall and, and come from the first two albums. Can you think of a time, and I'm putting you on the spot here. I think we might need to do our Wikipedia research. Have you? Th- mm-hmm. Can you think of a time where an artist's third album was their best album? Because normally it's either one or two, but can you think of anyone where it's number three?
1: Oh, what a great question. Um
0: because I would say oh. I mean arguably you could say Usher but number
1: 4 Confessions might be even better but No aside I would from that, I would put Yeah That's an argument that people make 8701 or Confessions I go with Confessions as far as that Man that's a great question. I will say that my favorite Mary J album is probably her third album. I'm not quite sure it's her best, but it's in the conversation. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's the answer. There's probably someone out there that I'm forgetting, but that's a really difficult one. Because you're right, most of the time, the best album is either the debut or they take it to another level with the sophomore album. What was Sex, Love, and Pain? Was that Tank's third or fourth? Yeah, that was number three. Okay, okay well
0: there you go. Yep. And but it's I a rarity up- for sure. For sure. And Ed, I bring that up because uh, Tom and I had a special guest uh, for this podcast. Unfortunately, you weren't there for it. Uh, you can join us. But Raz B from B2K, I know a lot of fans were excited to hear from him. He's going to be joining us on the podcast shortly. And Ed, I just want to make one point before we bring him in. Um, and that is that and, like, there are some artists like like or groups like B2K, they never really got to fall off, per se, because they broke up. Like two albums in, so that's an interesting point too. Maybe those type of artists could have reached higher uh, success before they broke. Uh, before they broke up,
1: I agree. I've always said that about Escape. I feel like they're a group, and we don't talk about them as much as we should. But they seem like with every release was getting better, getting better, getting better, and then it just kind of broke up. Even though they had a longer career than B Two K, they didn't have a chance to like fall off. Most artists kind of. I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but they kind of overstay their welcome in some cases. And the music eventually, like we all say, everything declines. And sometimes the newer output, they struggle to find themselves and to find their voices and kind of nose dies a little bit. But there are a few artists who we talk about a lot in hip hop with Biggie, who just kind of left us before they had a chance to stumble. B2K is one of them. They just kind of... Quickly as, res- quickly as they rose, they kind of went down. So we never got to see them lose their footing. Which, if you're a fan, is kind of a good thing. Kind of a blessing and a curse. You want more music, but they didn't hang around long enough to get you the garbage. So, yay.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, Ed, I'm going to grab my popcorn and my soda now because Razby will be joining us on the
2: podcast. And like I said, every week we try to bring in someone special. Someone who has brought soul back, and Tom, I'm going to take the intro on this one because I grew up listening to B2K. A lot of memories to that with the You Got Served soundtrack. I was part of that whole 106 and Park era, and Raz B was one of the faces of that. So, of course, no introduction needed. Raz B from B2K. What's going on, Raz?
3: Yo, what's up, man? Appreciate the love, yo. That's was dope. That's, that was a dope introduction. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be Absolutely.
2: here. For sure. Raz, I got to say something though. I'm a little, I'm a little mad at you right now because um, (laughs) just so you know, uh, my mom is originally from China. I'm from Canada. I was born in Canada, raised in Canada. And I've seen a couple of your interviews and you might actually speak better Mandarin than I do. Are
3: you serious? (laughs) <laughs> you know, actually one of my friends he's in he's in um Canada. I'm a, uh, one of my best friends. We met in China, I'm about to see him when I get to Canada um Saturday. But he actually speaks better Chinese than me and he's like, Yo, you were in China longer than me, bro. Why is your Chinese not so good? And I was like, Well you know I had a lot of help being in like Shanghai, but when you really got to use your Chinese, when you have to go down to like the Guangdong province or something like that, you know what I mean? Because there's nobody really down there that really that's really speaking that um, that you know Mandarin or uh, English, right. shall I say? Right.
2: And let's talk about the food in China, because Tom and I we always talk about food on this podcast, chicken wings and all mm-hmm. that. But over in China, different type of cuisine. Were you eating all of that, or were you sticking with the McDonald's?
3: Um, I was sticking with the McDonald's for the first six months. But, uh, no, I don't want to speak speak on another brand, but I mean, you know, I don't I don't think that's the most healthiest food out there. So finally I started to, you know, get out of that whole, you know, that comfort zone of, you know, being an American. And I started exploring. I tried some um oh, Jesus Christ. I tried some squid over there, I tried some pigeon, I tried frog for the first time there. Um, it's really interesting when they cook the chicken, they they, 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 you know, they, they, they kill it in pretty much in front of you, you know what I'm saying? And like <laughs> oh, fresh chicken man. with the bones in there, they even put the head on there, you know what I mean? So the food is great. Oh. I think the food is really great. It's really greasy, but um, it's really healthy. <laughs> some, 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 they, they eat a lot of vegetables and they drink a lot of hot water. You know Asian people. Very healthy.
2: <laughs> Tom, are you drinking any of that
4: stuff? I'm not, no. Anything greasy, man, I have to stay away from. I'm sorry. I like plain <laughs> grilled chicken, you know, just... <laughs> But Raz, man, for those who didn't even realize, tell us what you, what you were doing over in China all that time.
3: Well, you know, um, it was crazy because growing up as a kid, I always had the fantasy and just seeing everything in the house being um, uh, um, made by China or made in Taiwan. It kind of really it always inspired me. I was working in 2004. I was playing um, in the celebrity NBA entertainment league. And met a gentleman was working with a company called BTP Communications and How Uplinger, who produced the Live Aid concerts. They were producing the very first concert, The Great Wall of China, which was pretty phenomenal in 2004. And I went on a campaign and help promote them and help secure some talent, which went on to perform like Alicia Keys. Tried to get the boys to perform, but at that time, we were all growing up and going ahead in our different directions. And uh, so I kind of never let go of that dream and being so close to have the opportunity to perform on The Great Wall of China and host the show. Due to you know uh, you know financial uh, uh, things the promoter was going through they, they they were they were unable to pay me so I was unable to attend that event it got to the point where I was just kind of you know it wasn't really about the money but when you got a bunch of people that sacrificed their time and rehearsal and stuff like that I had to kind of make a stand for everybody and I feel like if they weren't going to go I I shouldn't have went fast forward seven. Later, somebody hit me up on Facebook about an opportunity in China, and I knew immediately because my uncle told me, "If you're being God's will, you go back to China." And, um, and when that opportunity came, I went there. It was it was three month contract, and I wanted to stay in three years for that for for that first run. Came home for about a month, and then went back for another four. So what I was doing, I was performing. I was uh, bringing over other artists like uh, uh, um, B-5. I brought over a soldier boy. I was producing for A-list artists and still, still to this day. And my connections just continue to grow. Well,
2: All right. Pretty now, cool. Now, we, we, on the podcast, we always talk about just an artist outside of the U.S. and their brand, brand internationally. And we always talk about Europe as one of the spots for R&B as as artists. Can grow over there, and I, uh, you know, I recently went to Japan, and R&B is big okay. over there as well. What is it like in China? And when you were in China, were you did people know you as Razzby from B2K, or, or is it a little different over there?
3: Well, I've always carried the brand wherever I go, so people did know me. Um, obviously, I like to tell a lot of artists your name, brand, value in America may not be the same that it may be like in Europe or Africa. You know, you you really have to go over there and put that work in, and, you know, being over in China, I was on the ground because so I got a chance to hang out with people in the clubs. Everybody got a chance to know my personality. Not only do I do the big shows and the award shows and, you know, I have big posters and, and billboards up, people got a chance to get to, to know me because I was a part of the culture. It's different when you're just there and you're coming to do a show and you leave. You know, I added to the culture. Like I said, I was bringing people to, to China. You know what I mean, and, and sharing my culture with them just as much as China was sharing theirs with me. So, and do they love r b music? Hell yeah, they love r music. They love, they love, they love, they love, the, the, they love European music. They love, I mean, they love our music. I mean, they, they put like this: China follows Billboard. Right.
4: All right. <laughs> now, Raz, man, we gotta touch on the Millennium Tour because that was such an epic moment for R&B. I mean, we're we're some of the biggest R&B supporters out there, and we were just in awe of what you guys were able to put together with that tour the support it got, all the artists coming together, all the special guests that were brought on stage. Like, it was just such a a dope thing to see, especially in a time when R&B, you know, it's in a weird spot, it's evolving, it's changing, the sound is going in different directions. So, man, that was just such an epic moment, man. What was your main takeaways from that tour and what you guys were able to accomplish?
3: It was mind blowing. A lot of people had doubts that B2K could actually come back and headline uh, something to that magnitude. Me, I never had a doubt because I knew we had a cult-like following. One thing about B2K, because the world got a chance to to see us and we grew up on TV, people got a chance to fall in love with us and our personalities as as people, you know. And I think um, when that's taken away from somebody, because you know the group was broken up, you know, or disbanded, you know, at, at, a, at a very you know early time in our career, and you know that. The fact that all those, you know, everybody grew up. We all grew up. We all still wanted that, especially myself. Is which is why I went ahead of us to prepare a place and secure the trademark and introduced uh, G Squared Events to to the whole team. And you know, finally, by the popular demand, you know, from all the supporters out there and 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 the guys and our management team's able to come together. We was able to do something not only special for all the supporters but for the culture. And I just think it's really dope. Especially shout out to Drake. I mean, the fact that he's him and his team and Live Nation is bringing out bringing us to OVO Fest is, you know, it's just a huge uh, uh, opportunity, you know, um, you know for r and Because I know, I, I know Drake does a lot of R&B stuff, too, and stuff like that. So I, I just thought that was pretty cool that he's giving us a night to actually do our thing. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it was huge. You know, R&B music is rhythm and blues, so it's never really going to go anywhere. It's in everything. It's the essence of music.
2: Right. Yeah. Raz, I spoke to Spectacular probably about a month ago, and he was reflecting on that Millennium tour too, and he was just so excited to see all the fans show up and you know as fans, we were excited to see you guys back together. but what kind of led you led to you guys getting back together or how did you even decide that you wanted to do this tour because you've been in China and you've been successful over there like what how did it all how did it all come
3: together well you know will will and belief you know I mean we were young we 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 you know we just been at a young age really not probably not really having the knowledge. You know, uh, an impact, uh, understanding the impact that we really had, and how stronger we are together. I mean, individually we're strong, but you know, together as a force, we're, we're you know, we're phenomenal. So, I, uh, I'm still in awe. I'm just happy that uh, it was a dream come true. Like I said, you know, the, the group broke up at very early stages, and you know, it was just something that, you know, in order to uh, to move forward our lives, we need some closure. You know, and I think the cool part now is that uh, we have opportunities to do so many. We've been talking about exploring other options, potentially an album, potentially possibly more touring. So, would
4: you would you say you guys are looking towards doing an album? Is that something you guys have been working on at any point?
3: Um, I mean, it's something. It's been, it's been a few conversations, but I mean, nobody's that right. currently. You know, I mean, the four of us not in the studio working. I know probably individually. I know we've all been in the studio. I I, uh, I cut a record called NBA that was so cold, I sent it to all the boys. <laughs> right. You know, we, hey, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So. Well, you let know, me we ask just, you this. We're just going, man. Yeah. Well, let me, Kyle, let me loop you in real quick because, Kyle, you were a big Beach of K fan growing up. You grew up on their music. What was your feelings like when the group Broke up. Well, how did you feel since you were such
2: a fan them at the time? You know, it was crazy because that was, I mean, pretty Ricky came after you guys, but you guys were at that time the biggest male group in in music in general, especially in in the R and B market. And I felt like it was such a huge blow because you guys brought it all, and you know, everyone saw that on the Millennium tour. You guys danced, you guys sang, you guys put out great records. Um, so it, it was tough for me, but. Raz, just to loop it back to that Millennium tour, as you guys got ready for that, I mean, I saw a lot of fans who they were excited to see you on stage and they were complimenting you on just how prepared you were for that tour. Um, just talk about the preparation that goes into a tour like that.
3: Well, definitely, I feel like I could have been a lot more prepared, but my my me in, in China and a lot of performance because majority of the time, a lot of business things. So it seemed like you know. Um, when you got, when you gotta perform for a crowd that don't know your name, that don't know your music, like in China, and I had to build and collaborate and do records and stuff like that, it's you know you gotta go hard and ex- work extra hard. It was like a piece of cake performing for my people. You feel me? So yeah. I mean, I mean, from from working out to, to 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 the fast to really you know to the photo shoots to the rehearsals. I mean, the rehearsals were grueling. You know what I'm saying? It was crazy. It, it's not like we were like. Um, kids again. Our our bodies are a lot older. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So preparation was crazy, but we, we knocked it out. You know, I mean, we, we knocked it out and we stayed committed. I think the hardest part is just making sure that, you know, you always have the right team around you, you know what I'm saying, because there's there's always going to be some, some, some traps and obstacles and stuff like that to, you know, to try to prevent, whether it's uh, technical, personal, or, you know, it's just life, you know what I'm saying, so I, I really think you have to be physically, mentally, and spiritually prepared to go on a journey such as that, and we, we accomplished that.
2: Right. Now, Raz, I I do want to touch on the tour from the standpoint. You know, you did have a couple of pauses along that tour. Um, You know, and and I don't think people understand the the tough part of being on the road. It's it's more than just being on the stage for an hour or two hours. There's, you know, travel time. There's rehearsals and, like you said, um, the team around and and all of that stuff. How do you know if you're mentally prepared to go on a tour like this? It's a
3: good question. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think you really do know. I think you just, life, I guess life has got us prepared for, for for big moments. Right. You know what I mean? Go because ahead. the trials and tribulations and the things that we go through as growth as kids to, to our adulthood, to our, I mean, from our adolescent to our adulthood, you know, I mean, those are the qualities you take on with life. You know, you don't want to, you, you, hey, let's say, for instance, you were like maybe six or seven or maybe you were 10 and you stole something. You don't want to take those qual. You don't want to take that, into you know, into your adolescent or your adulthood. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's just really about handling your business and life, man. You know what I mean? You take care of your business, your business will take care of you, and it starts with treating people the way you want to be treated. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right.
4: Hey, cool. if you don't mind, Raz, can you reflect on, you know, we, we always talk about B2K when we're talking about some of the top acts who came out in the 2000s. You know, they really laid the groundwork for that whole generation who followed, influenced so many. But to me, when I look back on it, you know, I'm a little bit older than Kyle, and I remember that it was almost like an overnight sensation. And then it was like it came out of nowhere. It seemed like, and then all of a sudden, it was huge. It was like bigger than anyone else at the time in R&B. So, what do you remember about one day, you know, becoming so big so fast at that time?
3: Well, you know, B2K put a lot of work in. We mm-hmm. put a lot of work in. You know, not taking shots at artists today, but I feel a lot of artists don't don't you know. Prepare, and I feel like preparation. I mean, preparation is every. Preparation is everything, right? So you know when our success did come, we could actually, you know, kind of bask in it a little bit. But we really did maybe a little bit after because we've seen the impact that we had. But we worked so hard and we was in this bubble. And when you're young, you don't really understand and know what you know now. So I just think the you know the hard work that we put in is really what made it. You know what made it. Uh, you know mean so much for us because those hours of rehearsal, you know what I'm saying? All the times we went into the record companies and we didn't get our deal, you know? When we had to work harder on our vocal training. We had to work harder on our dancing. I mean, you know, there's a lot of groups that came before us and that's paved the way. You know what I mean? for B2K to be able to actually go down in history as one of those groups, I mean, sheesh. I mean, wow. I never, mm-hmm. I, I never thought in a million years that we would be able to, you know, be on a list with Kiss and Metallica and Backstreet Boys, yeah. you know what I mean? So you know, we're up there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Raz,
3: before you got
2: on the call, we were just looking at some of B2K's albums, and in the span of like two years, you guys released like six albums, which was which is ridiculous, even in today's standards. Like, how did you guys manage that? And you know, whose whose idea was it to release that many albums in that period?
3: I mean, me being a businessman that I am, I mean, if I if I had a marketing budget of X amount of dollars, millions of dollars, and I can capitalize and and, and get more product out off that already marketing dollars that are already out, I would I would get out as much content as possible too. That's kinda what I think that was about. Because if you drop right. an album in March, right, and let's say you spent two, three million dollars, right? Why why the buzz is hot, why not put a single I think that was David Frizz's idea, why not put a the single, which was Why I Love You, our third single, on the pandemonium album and release another album that same year. Hmm. Right? Then you, got, then you got remix albums. I mean, then you got Christmas albums. So, we, I mean, we were just working. I mean, they worked the hell out of us. <laughs> we were working machines, but we loved, we loved to work, and we knew what we were going after. We wanted to be the greatest.
4: Right. And, and, and Raz, we're almost out of time, but just a couple more quick things I want to touch on. And uh, something we pride ourselves on, we're R&B lovers. You know, we listen to all the music. We don't just listen to singles. We listen to the albums in depth. And Kyle, like he said, he grew up a big B2K fan. Kyle, you want to share for us some of your favorite B2K album cuts? What are some of the best songs that could have been a single, in your opinion?
2: Oh, nice. Oh, man. You're putting me on the spot here. Well, one of my favorites, I think it's a fan favorite to a lot of people, is the song Everything. That's, that's mm. one. Uh, one wow. Kiss is a personal favorite of mine.
3: <laughs> one Kiss is fire, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fire. Uh <laughs>
2: But, Raz, I want to ask, like, from your perspective, do you like the up stuff more, or do you like more of the ballads that you guys did together?
3: You know, I like the fact that we were so diverse. I like the fact the second album, I really pushed the guys. And like, I, I fought for the executive producer's credit. I hate to kind of take credit, but, I, you know, I have to take my credit where, 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 where I shine in the group, you know what I mean, and being the, the, the driving force in certain areas. And I was really, really adamant about the guys kind of, stepping up that second album as much as they did on the first album because Fizz and Boog wrote, you know, they wrote the rap the uh-huh on the first album and on the second album we we wound up participating and writing, you know, about 10 songs in that record and it, you know, it's just crazy because we, we did but I would love to see what all the music we would have written or wrote, you know what I mean? So, uh, Group is very diverse. I really liked our up-tempo stuff, but then you know we we wound up getting some really good ballads. I mean, we had some really good writers around at the time. We started to mature more as adult as young adults, and um, I, I love sleeping, yo. I mean, I thought sleeping was crazy. I thought we should have did a video. Right. Of everything, everything is always a fan. I mean, if you ask me, we, I mean, to this day, right now, I would shoot a video. I would, I would, wow. get, I would get all the boys together. And we we should direct it and put four little boys in the movie. And, I mean, in, in the thing. I mean, there's so many things I want to do with the B2K brand. Oh my god! Put like this show, It would never it would never be over for Razby. So I will always keep the right. brand going, one way or another. That's other. amazing.
2: That's awesome. And we appreciate that, Raz. I gotta ask you. Uh, you know, a lot of fans obviously the the breakup of, of B2K is well documented, but I don't think one part that talks that's talked about enough for artists in general is. You know, like Tom mentioned, B2K, from our perspective, rose to the top so fast. And then to have it all taken away, what was life like for you adjusting to that slow period? Because obviously now you've picked it back up, you're back on tour, but that slow period where you have to figure out, especially as a young man, what you want to do with the rest of your life, what was that period like?
3: I think, well, because you always... I mean, you always got to play. It's what you do with the platform you've been given. It's all about how you respect yourself. So during that time, I made sure... I respected myself, despite what trials and tribulations I may have faced, always kept working, you know what I mean, and, you know, essentially, you go from having this major investor behind you to not having this major investor behind you, you know what I mean? So, I, I think the adjustment is, um, is understanding the business, understanding the way the world works, you know what I mean, and, um... You know, it's just, it's really interesting to kind of see how people are. I will tell you that, because they're interesting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, so, Raz, um, you know, before we go, I, I know you've been working on some music of your own as well, producing for other people. Just let the people know what you're working on.
3: Hey, y'all, I think I'm going to get a, get a Grammy. <laughs> it's, it's really dope. Um, yep. The record is called, the name of the album is called Full Disclosure. I've been, um, I self-financed it. I'm really passionate about it. I work with one writer and one producer. His name is Yayo. My boy Ryan, we wrote the record together. Uh, Sly, Sly Piper threw a joint on there. You know, you know, one of Dr. J's right-hand man. So we gotta we got to finish that joint. And my homeboy Travis June, he got, we got like two records on there. One he did is called Light, one is called NDA. My record is really fire. I think really people are gonna be really surprised. Um that, you know, I finally get my platform and people get a chance to actually hear ads, hear my voice, hear what I'm talking about, hear my message, hear my story. And for me, it's like a Bible, you know, something I get to leave behind. I'm really, really proud of it. Um, I got some meetings coming home because I'm looking for the proper home to make sure it, uh, it actually gets to uh, the proper exposure it deserves. Nice. That's dope, man.
4: We're we'll looking forward t- to checking
2: it out and definitely got our support. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, for mm-hmm.
2: sure. Hey, Tom. Mm-hmm. Hey, Tom, I think you forgot to ask a question, so I'll ask it for you here. But, Raz, like we mentioned, we're big R&B fans, so we've seen a lot of our favorite groups break up, make up, break up again. And, you know, B2K has gone through their differences, but what's the challenge in keeping a group together and and, and bringing it all back together? Because it, it doesn't seem like it's a it's a recipe that works in, in today's society.
3: I mean, there's, there's a lot of different moving parts. Because, remember, you, you're dealing with people, you know, everybody has their own space. Everybody has their own mood. Everybody has their own thought process. So, I mean, just how we deal and operate with everybody else in the world. If we can, if we can really understand the nucleus, and this is any group or any, any 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 people working together, understanding that harmony and teamwork makes a dream work. I mean, I mean that's the key. So all of the, all of the low frequencies of, of jealousy, envy. You know, you know not being kind, all of those fruits that, you know, all of the things that don't bear fruit, you can't, that can't coexist in this space. That's all. So, right. you know, it's, it is what it is. I mean, you go to the store and you want to buy something, what you want to do? Throw the money in the person's face and say, hey, give me this shit? Nah, man, that's not how you talk to somebody. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So you got to treat people what you want to be treated. So I think that's just the key. And if everybody can operate and, treat, you know, and, and protect and respect each other's space, I think you'll be all right.
4: Good point. Yeah support
2: so Raz we're out of time here but we appreciate you for taking the time out to speak to us I know a lot of our readers were really excited when we announced that you'd be joining us so Raz best of luck with everything you've always got us our, our support and uh you know we'll always be checking out for what you got next
3: man I'll definitely come back we'll spend some more time we'll get a little bit more you know I mean you know I'm sure we got some more questions if people want to get a little deeper you know what I'm, saying? I'm I'm an open book I ain't got nothing to hide and uh and I would love to come back and share my music with you guys
4: Absolutely. Absolutely, man.
3: Always welcome. Awesome, thank you, uh thank you guys once again for your time and Tara, uh my PR. She's she's amazing. She's always making shit happen.
4: And
0: Ed, that was Raz b on the podcast. I'm sad that you missed that one. And here's an interesting note for you, Ed. Raz b right before the interview, got his tooth taken out because he had a root canal.
1: Crazy. Now I'm I'm very disappointed. I missed this one too. Literally, y'all, at the last second, I was going to be on this and. I had some work duties that came up, so I had to step away, and I missed the whole podcast. But both Tom and Kyle had nothing but glowing things to say about the professionalism of your man, Rasby. And the brother got a tooth pulled out of his face and still showed up on time and was professional. Had a great interview. This is why I love professional artists. Shout out to Rasby. Absolutely. Now, did you want to talk
0: about the success of one, uh, Old Town Road, or should we move on from that?
1: Please move on before I move you off this podcast. My God.
0: Well, it's good to know that Nas is finally being recognized by the mainstream.
1: Did you say... No- oh, my God. Where is no. my blood pressure medicine? <laughs> no. It is... I-, I will mention this. If most of our listeners know, the little Boy, Lil Nas song has broken the record, the billboard record that was set by one of Kyle's favorite songs. Mariah's one sweet day with boys to Men and shout out to my girl Cassandra on the cypher because she had the best response ever someone asked her who was a unabashed Mariah Stan what do you think about your girl Mariah's record getting broken and she said he can holler at me when he does it 18 more times like Mariah did I Eight. love a mic drop like that shout out to my <laughs> girl
0: wow um, Ed, before we get into the play, please, let's get into the Soulback track of the day, because I know you'll re- you'll be really excited about this one. Okay. I had to hook you up with this one. So the Soulback track of the day is none other than Just Got Paid by Johnny Camp, written by your boy, Keith Sweat.
1: King Keith, he could, to this day, he still re- he performs that one at his shows all the time. He just snatches it and performs it. That song, and I know a lot of our listeners may not have been around when that song hit in like the 80s. But oh my gosh, you are talking about a song that was everywhere. Everywhere that song was everywhere. So that one is a classic for sure. It's one of those underrated classics that didn't quite get. If you check how many, I know now we're obsessed with numbers and how many streams did it have and where did it chart. And oh, did it go 90 times platinum. No one didn't do any of that. But if you say that name, Just Got Paid, you will start to sing that song. To me, that is the definition of a classic album. Not how many times somebody propped up some streaming numbers. So we're going to see how these new classics hold up to the old ones. And interestingly enough,
0: and I actually knew this, but um, NSYNC covered that song. Did you know this? Oh, I knew it. I wish I didn't. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) All right. Ed, are you ready for the play? Of Please, I only have one today. Actually, I might have two. Hit me. Uh, this one comes from uh, the great president Donald Trump. He was dropping bars Don't. yesterday. Yesterday on Twitter with his puns. Uh, ASAP Rocky, as you know, was released from jail in Sweden. So Trump tweeted out, "ASAP Rocky released from prison, and on his way home to the United States from Sweden, it was a rocky week.
1: Get home." ASAP. ASAP. As I said on Twitter, is Big Sean ghostwriting this man tweets? Because this is one of those bars that y'all was screaming so hot. But it makes my skin crawl. If Well, if Big Sean did it, it would be off beat. So, you said it on beat. So, obviously Big Sean didn't do it. <laughs> but, Ed, isn't it crazy
0: how in 2019, you got the president talking about rap artists?
1: Well... It's crazy because this world is a festering ball of garbage when the leader of the free world, who is constantly accused of racism, suddenly is talking about his love and affinity for ASAP Rocky. Sounds pretty political to me, but don't get me started. You can follow me on ET Bowser or on Twitter if you want to see me yell at the president about political stuff. I know sometimes y'all get squeamish when I get too real on the podcast, but somebody has to. yeah oh man and and i'm gonna bring
0: up another point and this is not a play of please but it was posted on your cipher i think uh someone on the breakfast club mentioned that snoop during his peak was bigger than tupac uh before he died and you can talk about that but i also want to talk about when we go back to jodeci versus boys to men because when we look at it now, Jodeci seems
1: to be the bigger
0: group. But back in the day, it wasn't like that, right?
1: Exactly. I think that's a great comparison that you made because a lot of the... Now, I would not necessarily say younger members of the group, but there were some members of the Cypher who were like, oh, no, Tupac is bigger. No, player. You have to look at things in its context. In 2019, we have kind of made some urban legends go around we have rewritten some history but listen to a brother who lived through it when they talk about Pac versus Snoop Dogg Snoop Dogg in his day in his day I know now we laugh because he's the the funny uncle who smokes weed and hangs out with the the white lady and that does a cooking show ha 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 but in 1992 Snoop Dogg was like the biggest rapper of all time of all time my grandma knew who Snoop Dogg was before rap was mainstream because he was that big, he had the court case, everything else. Pac was a very popular rap star, but he did not become transcendent until after his death. So we're comparing their alive periods. Absolutely not. Snoop Dogg was way bigger than Tupac. A lot of Tupac's Stuff is inflated anyway, but I won't get into that. Hit me up on Twitter if you want to talk about that. Because I can go for days about that. But let's talk more about Boyz II Men and Jodeci. In 2019, remember when we talked about earlier the influence of the hip-hop soul movement, so to speak, with Jodeci and Mara- and um, Mary J. That sound has permeated for the past 20, 30 years in R&B. And because jodeci was a founding father group of that sound we revere them for that and they should be revered because they helped set that template so yes if you are thinking if you're like a new fan or you came into r&b post 2000 you would say oh no question jodeci is bigger than boys to men but if you live through the 90s you will know that absolutely nobody Nobody was bigger than Boyz II Men, not only in R&B, but in crossing over to pop, vocal performances. Those dudes were unstoppable. And because their legacy is a little weaker because their later albums, you know, kind of did okay. Then they lost a member then they were kind of doing the low key thing and then they were doing a bunch of covers. So their sound. Was not, they didn't really have a transcendent sound. The Motown Philly sound was great, no question. But it wasn't as transcendent as hip hop soul. So they don't get the props that they deserve. But if we're talking about who is bigger at their peak, it ain't even close. Boys and Men kills Jodeci when we're talking about largeness at their peak. Overall legacy, I might have to give it to Jodeci though.
0: Now, Ed, how big were these groups during their prime? And I know we're running short on time and probably should have asked all this earlier, but it just popped up here, Ed. Um, we had a fan that asked, who is the greatest R&B group ever? And he also listed out
1: H-Town. Was H-Town that big, Ed? Oh, huh. and <laughs> I don't mean to sound dismissive because H-Town was very popular. But H-Town, as big as Jodeci or Boyz Samir? No, absolutely not. That'd be like saying that Schoolboy Q is as big as Kendrick Lamar. Like, no, they they had great songs that did well, but in the overall grand scheme of things, absolutely not. No, y'all can like what you like, but again, don't rewrite history on the player. All right, and how about Blackstreet? Blackstreet was huge yeah black Street definitely was big and especially um when they hit another level with another level but they were very big had a very big song but again i feel like when we're looking at overall mainstream consistent success not just success in r&b but like hitting mainstream levels because to me that's the determining factor if you're able to take your r&b Take it mainstream and make it hit number one and make it popular. And don't get me wrong, Blackstreet did that too, but they didn't do it as consistently well and as long and as strong as Boys to Men did. Blackstreet's definitely in the combo as one of the best groups ever, but not the best. I'm sure my man and I- um, Soulchild will have an argument there, but I stand by what I say, dog.
0: And and I'm gonna say this. I think one of the other reasons why Jodeci is looked at is so so near and dear these days is because back in the day, they kept their name in the media. I mean, KC dated Mary J. Blige, and I think even mm-hmm. to this day, because Mary is a legend, that conversation and that name will always come up. So I think that probably contributed to it, too.
1: Well, again, it's all about, it was kind of what I was saying earlier about Tupac. Not only did were they making music, they were making headlines. So you had that going on. You had Casey and JoJo did their thing separately. So that was kind of an offshoot of the Jodeci legacy. But they kept the name in people's minds. And that kind of helped it to, you know, good or bad, the Haley brothers have had their ups and downs. So they stayed in the headlines. When you're in a public consciousness, you're automatically going to be put up higher. When you do like blockbuster numbers and game changing stuff and then you kind of fall out of the public eye for a long time, you kind of forgotten about. And it's no fault to the fans because as we talked about, they kind of, when it comes to music, the generations change over every 10 years or so. It was funny when I did my Drake review and people were like, oh, this is so nostalgic. Oh, this reminds me when I was in fourth grade. I'm like, oh, fourth grade, you're a youngin'. But (laughs) 2011, and, and that was, you know, that was the time they fell in love with music. Just like when I, my time was Jodeci and Mary J's era. So music continues to change over each time and you get new fans. And if you aren't part of the conversation, when you become a new fan of that generation, you're forgotten about. Yep. So Ed, I think that's it for this week. What's
0: going on with Soul & Stereo?
1: Play. Well, lots going on at Soul & Stereo. We talked already about the review of Drake's Care Package compilation album. Go check that out if you dare. I actually say nice things about your boy, so don't be too hard on me. Also, as we talked about earlier, ranked tanks albums from worst to first. Go check those out. And also have a new edition of Love Letters. It had been a while, but have a little bit there if you're looking for some love drama. Got that there at Soul and Stereo.
0: And the, there you have it. And then on You Know I Got so we posted some exciting tour news at uh, Lucky Day, uh, who's one of our favorite R&B artists of this year. He's going mm-hmm. on tour. And then Lloyd will also be hitting the road for a Unplugged tour. So it's good to see these artists moving, hitting the stage going on the road
1: to touch the people so ed we might have to go to a couple of these shows i wouldn't mind i think lloyd's very underrated as far as a live performer and we're both fans of lucky day i'm down just as long Absolutely. as common doesn't show up and tells you not to look or speak at him i think we'll be okay
0: <laughs> we should give him a play of please for that but we won't no my god um, so ed we're gonna end off this podcast and i'm gonna ask you one question and one question only all right hit him bro if I get you a Slurpee machine for Christmas, will you throw away your Chris Brown? Uh, not your Chris Brown, your Keith Sweat
1: discography. Um, I'm gonna take that first offer and I will throw away my Chris Brown discography. Yes, <laughs> but the Keith one Uh, let let Slurpee me pray machine? on that one, player. Let me pray on that because that's a hard bargain. Because self-made Slurpees in the house could change my life. It also would change my pant size. All right, how about this? I'll get you a
0: Slurpee right now. I'll fly to your home right now, get you a Slurpee if you throw away that last album. (laughs) If you make that happen, I would probably do that. Oh, you are terrible. You're supposed to be the number one fan, Ed. You've let Keith Well,
1: no, I love, I can always rebuy the album, but Slurpees don't really, they're pretty rare down here. Well, by the time you flew here, it would be like water, so never mind. Keep your water Slurpee. (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right, all right. Ed, that seems to be it for this week. We'll come back next week with another guest. Shout-outs to Raz B for joining us. We'll, ha- Ed. I think we're gonna yep. have to bring him back because uh, we only got a little bit out of him. We were running short on time on our end, unfortunately. But we'll get him back too, and we'll get you in the mix too. And uh, Ed, that seems yep. to be it for this week. All right, players. I'll holla. All right, peace.